0: I'm going to skip the introduction because otherwise we would be here until 1:30 today. And what I'd like you to do is, if you would, uh, if you want to follow along, we'll look at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Mark 5 verses 1 to 20. And we'll kind of introduce it as we get into the text. They, that is, Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Geres. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man When he saw Jesus from a distance, he cr- ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked, what is your name? I'm a, From Yukon. I'm a lit person. I graduated degree in ed- education and literature. So the next sentence is significant for me. My name is singular, legion, for we are plural, many. By the way, the schizophrenia of the name is fascinating to me. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send, him out of, send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been, possessed by, had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting out into the boat, The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So some of you have your notes and your outline and I want to be as simple as I can today to say that this text really is about the whole concept of freedom. What does it mean to be free? And I've labeled this idea of the capture of a free man. And I'll look at the text kind of divides itself into three parts pretty easily. Verses 1 to 13 talks about what the man is free from. Verses 14 to 17 talk about what he's free for. A couple of verses talk about what he's free to. Or if some of you want to be a tad more uh, intellectual, just for the sake of knowing it, that really what the first ones one is, is, is Jesus' encounter with destructive freedom. And then Jesus captures this man and he encourages them in what I would call developmental freedom. (laughs) How to use your freedom in order to become more of what God's made you to be. And thirdly, and to encourage folk to understand the descriptive freedoms that this man has experienced. First of all, context here. There's actually two contexts. The first is the immediate one. Jesus has just gone over the lake. He's been telling people parables. He goes over the lake, and he's tired, so he falls asleep in the boat. You know the story. And, of course, a huge storm happens. And Jesus gets up, and he says, peace, be still, and the storm stops. And his disciples at this point are saying, "Some weird's going on. This sets the stage for his encounter with this man. And what's really at stake here is the issue that missiologists call a power encounter. It's where representative combat takes place in the ancient world. By the way, it still happens in some degree or other even in the modern world. But what's being at stake here is that in ancient world, they said it's dumb for us to have battles where we decimate each other. What we're going to do is we'll select a prime person, a hero, a champion. And we'll have our champion do battle with your champion. With the understanding that the champion that wins will then also be the champion of all the other people represented by the champion who loses. Let me give you some examples in the ancient world, in the ancient biblical history. It's kind of talked about a little bit in terms of Joshua going around the, the city of Jericho. Remember he does it seven times, seven days. And What's at stake here is which God is stronger, the God of the walls of Jericho or the God who leads his people using the singers and the priests who go first because they represent the Yahweh God. And on the seventh day they go around seven times and what happens to the walls? They all fall down. You remember the story, correct? Second example. David versus Goliath. Remember David wanders in. He's giving food to his brothers. And Goliath comes down this beast of a guy Some folk think he was almost nine feet tall. And he says, I'll take on whoever you want. With the understanding that if I win, you Philistines, we own you. (laughs) And David says, what right does this guy have to say bad things about God's people and God himself? So he takes five stones, only uses one, and managed to use a slingshot that gets Goliath right in the forehead, knocks him out, and before he can come to, what does David do to Goliath's head? Well, it gets separated from his body. And the result is the Philistines run for high heavens. Or you remember the story of... Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember that encounter on Mount Carmel? And Elijah wants to make sure that there's no trickery involved here, so he takes big vats of water, pours it on the altar, so that when the fire from heaven comes, you know it's not some magic that took place. God himself has rendered his champion this prophet that had all sorts of doubts as the person who encounters the prophets of Baal. One more, for example. I like this one best. You remember Daniel is in Babylon, and the word comes that he prays three times a day. And so folks enact a new law, and they say, anybody who prays to any god except Nebuchadnezzar has to go into the lion's den. And so you know the story. It was one of my favorites growing up. Oh, boy, would I have loved to do battle with those lions. And of course the recognition is, and it's not told in the end of Sunday School Stories because it gets a little gross and kind of yucky, is that when Daniel is pulled out, the people who were against him... (laughs) They go into the lion's and they're torn up before they even hit the floor of the den. But it's representative combat. It's against this backdrop that the story that we've read takes place. By the way, the other kind of representative combat happened a couple years ago when on March 28, my grandson called me up and said, Happy Patriots Day. Do you know why? because that's how far the Patriots were behind the Atlanta Falcons, 328. And you remember, they came back to win. Yes! Representative combat, and all of a sudden, Patriots nation reigned hard and wide. And unfortunately, we can't do in our enemies. Otherwise, all of Los Angeles would be put to death. You know how that works. But it's that sense of being a Patriots fan. Or yesterday, I texted my grandson, happy Star Wars Day, <laughs> correct? Some of you know what I'm talking about. My wife had no clue what it was about. So my son living in Pennsylvania said, buy her some earmuffs and call her Leia all day. Maybe she'll get a hop. <laughs> it's representative combat. So out of the thing comes this man Who is a representative of what it means to be free from all the constraints of life. And it's listed in the text. Mark describes him. He is free from constraints, nothing could bind him anymore. He's got superhero physical strength. Secondly, he's free from chains. They tried to chain him, the chains couldn't even hold him. He's free from convention. He lived among the tombs. None of this having to mow your lawn every day. With how much rain we've had, you're doing it twice a week, correct? He's free even from conversation. He would cry out. He doesn't have to listen to the neighbor or to people who would like to bore you to tears. This man's free from comfort. He's free from the comforts of life. He would cut himself with stones. And it's even indicated in the text, and if you look at the companion text in, in Luke, He doesn't even wear clothes. He's free from social and domestic convention. He's free from it all. And he's the representative that's come to do battle with Jesus, who has come to a new territory that's primarily inhabited by Gentile people. The reason we know that is that there's pigs around. And Jesus is making a missionary foray into a part of the area where he's living nearby. And as a result, the evil one comes and says, if you're going to do battle, let me show you the toughest person you're going to have to deal with. But understand that the freedom embodied by this man is a destructive freedom because it cuts him off from all relationships especially his relationship with God. You see, the allure, the temptation of our age is to be free from stuff that would tie you down. You go back to school and you say, why do I have to study this particular thing? Well, I'm doing it just for this exam. I wish I could just be free from it. I can't tell you how many times I prayed that the rapture would happen before final exams. <laughs> I just want it to be free from things. But it's a destructive. It's an illusory freedom. Just a bit of digression here. Several years ago, I was preaching at a pastor's seminar in Haiti. And we were going through the first eight chapters of the book of Mark. The typical dialogue went this way, that there would be a didactic session for an hour on one of the chapters, followed by a question and answer time. And I was speaking through interpreter, because I, I don't know French, I don't know Creole, I don't know any of that stuff. We got to this text, Mark 5. And the question-and-answer time blew me out of the water because their primary question was, what about the pigs? They wanted to know, does God hate pigs? Why did he destroy the pigs? For half an hour, we tried to understand the theology of pigs. Why? Because pigs matter in Haiti. In rural Haiti, they are the means by which economy, ecology, and even income is judged. Pigs matter to these people, but Jesus is making a point. He's saying people matter more than pigs. (laughs) Which brings us to our second point. True freedom is not freedom just from something, but it's freedom for something. And the townspeople come from outside the town, they hear the story of what the pig herders have said, and they see this man, and note there's a fledgling community that's taken place with this man and Jesus' disciples, and the irony of it is that this man is sitting He's free for the idea of learning something. Sitting is the place where you learn something in the ancient world. And in the midst of it, there's a public-private conversation going on. Jesus is talking to this man. This man is sitting, and he's listening to them. In the ancient world, these public-private things usually work this way. There was an inner circle, and then everyone publicly could stand on the outside and listen in. So you can imagine what's going on. They're talking about what this power is that would do in 2,000 demonic spirits that were inhabited within the sky. How did Jesus have that amount of power to not only exercise them, but direct them in a place which ultimately would mean their demise? So this man's sitting, and he's clothed in his right mind. He's dressed. He's living near them. Before he lived in rags or with no clothes at all, he was alienated from people. And when you come close to Jesus, one of the things that happens is that Jesus gives you the capacity to listen to him. (laughs) Folk who don't know Jesus don't understand some of the jargon and the technology that Jesus' followers used. They say something like this, and here are some of the words to describe what's going on. Well, I was having my quiet time, and Jesus talked to me in the Bible. And they're saying, I do not understand anything of that last sentence. But folk who know Jesus knows what it's like to sit and be quiet and listen to God speak. Not only does he come near, he learns from, lives near, but he's listening too. He's attentive. He's asking questions like, What are you saying to me, Jesus? What am I supposed to do with this stuff? It's somewhat like I hate to pull up something, but there's a couple that just got married. About a month ago, they're in love. I mean, they talk to, they're, 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 it's gushy and gooey. It's terrible how it is. I mean, she thinks he's wonderful. Oh, what little does she know? I mean, this is the way this works, you see. And weddings function the same way. You see, what happens is, is there's something private going on between two people, but then there's an audience around. Do you know why the witnesses are critical? Because they remind the couple of what they said when they forget it down the road. Correct? And in this case, this guy's got a right mind about him. He's clothed, he's sitting, he's listening, and everyone else is acting like witnesses so that they can remind the guy of what, in fact, was said. And we need both. It's a freedom for coming into relationship with Jesus and with each other. Can I ask the question to myself and to you this morning? What is Jesus calling you to be free for this morning and in the coming week? Which brings me to the third point. This man ultimately is free to something. You notice the conclusion of the story, and it's fascinating. We could say all sorts of stuff about this, but the man wants to go with Jesus. Remember that? The Randy wants to know, "Can I can I be part of your band?" And Jesus says to him, no, 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 no. You can't. In fact, what I really want you to do is I want you to go home to your people. Now, think about this a little bit. Where has the guy been living, and what has he been doing for the last couple months, couple years, who knows how long? Would you want that guy to come back to your home? And Jesus says to this guy, who are your people? Go back to your family. Play this out in your imagination with me. I, I, I want you to do just a little thought experiment here. In the next week, if God has come close to you this morning, then you have this conversation with some of the people you meet. Uh, this past Sunday at St. Paul's, we were having this conversation, and you know, it was rudely interrupted by a little kid on the thing, you see. And one of the things preachers realize right away is they can't compete with kids. It's just all over. So all six of, 60 of you are looking at the kid, not at me. I understand how this works, okay. But in the midst of all this, even with the interruption of someone that's far more handsome than I am, you see, God was speaking to me. And he said something to me, and he said, you know, you're a hypocrite, but I've had mercy on you. And in a way I can't put together, in a way that I can't figure out what's happening, God spoke to me, and you're telling this to one of your relatives in the week to come. And he says, I wanna let you know something. Can I just let you know something? That I don't deserve the mercy that God gave me. But he gave it to me anyway. Now, if you want to know more about what kind of mercy he's given me, I'd be happy to talk to you. Who are the people coming into your mind right now as I'm using this thought experiment? Where and who are your people? Not only that, but Jesus says, go back to your place. And as I'm speaking, I'm hoping that the Spirit of God is putting a place in your head. It could be the faculty lounge where you teach. It could be the coffee shop next to where you work. It could be the people you see regularly. It could be the neighbors that now that cabin fever has overcome itself and there's no more snow, in Northeastern Connecticut, all of a sudden, neighbors are gonna find out what you're like. And you say to them, you know, I can't believe what happened this past Sunday in church, but God gave me something, and I just wanna to talk to you about it for two weeks, two minutes. Uh, can I give you an illustration? A couple of years ago, I was speaking to a church where my sister and brother-in-law live in Atlanta and what, one of the points of this thing was that God sends us to places that we know to be able to help people understand who Jesus is. So the, one of the guys in the church was a retired, semi-retired person. He was late 50s. So he took this seriously, and he decided to go into downtown Atlanta with some tracks, because that was old school. It's all he knew what to do. And he started to hand out tracks, and if people were interested, he'd find a way to, to give them a New Testament. He just figured that that's what God had given him to do and what he was gonna do. And then God spoke to him again. And he started to make his way from Atlanta up the East Coast because he had time. When he got to the state of Pennsylvania, he ran into some refugees who were part of a community who were from the nation of Bhutan near India, Southeast Asia. They invited him back to speak to their little community because they were trying to learn English. And he spoke to them about Jesus, and many of them became Christians. Don't understand. He's this guy who just trying to do what God's telling him to do, finds himself in North Atlanta, goes by Atlanta, up the East Coast, to central Pennsylvania, and they invited him to come back to their country to talk to people in Bhutan. And he's now in Bhutan! Friends, you can't make this stuff up. But I'm asking myself and I'm asking you the same question. Who are your people? Who are your place? Where is God calling you? Who are the people around you? And ultimately, this guy's got it down together. He's got a point to it. And the point that Jesus tells him is, tell him how much God has had mercy on your life. You see, that's a universal message because deep down all of us know we don't get what we deserve and we get what we don't deserve. <laughs> but the flip side of mercy is grace. And this guy understands that he should have stayed in the tombs, alienated from God and from other people. But in fact, Jesus came near and changed his life. You see, it's a power encounter, and it may well be that the people that you come near to in the course of the next week will be utterly transformed by the fact that God came near to you today, right now. So the question is, who are your people? What place is God telling you to go to? And what will you say when you get there? Or to put it another way around, from what do you need to be freed? Are you too enchained or bonded by the social conventions of the age? When I was a student at UConn during exam week, we found it was the best time to talk to kids because they needed a break. Some of them had been up 24, 48 hours trying to put into two days what they hadn't studied for for two months, correct? So I had a car, it was a 1960 Ford Galaxy, a huge boat of a car. And at 11.30 each night, we would take a run to the Dunkin' Donuts shop. Back then, it was down in Willimantic. And we'd buy 10 boxes of donuts. Everyone chip in something and come back and have a study break at midnight. Why? Because we cared for people during times of stress. Who is God calling you to encounter This week. What is he saying to you as you sit in his presence right now? And my last point is this. What will you tell people when they say, what drives you? What motivates your life? How has God had mercy on you? You see, I think this segues really well into what we're going to do by having communion right now. Because what we say to Jesus is what we're called to say to everyone else. When we tell Jesus that he's number one in our life and we thank him for the mercy he's shown on by taking bread and wine, that's precisely what we're called to say to the people who are outside this room. Amen? Now, some of you... May not have gotten the clue phone yet, and this all seems like gibberish. Kind of let you know, we'd love to talk to you. But in the process of being quiet, realize that God wants to speak to you, and He wants to send you back to your place, your people, and with a point to say. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that somewhere along the line, you would use this story again in my life and in the lives of folk gathered here. We pray in the name of Jesus, and all God's people will say, Amen.